If you need a donation report from last year, uh, just let me know. I'll print one up, give me an email address, and I'll email it to you. Most of you that usually ask for those already have them, but in case you don't, I'll let you know. Amen. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. What thoughts come to your mind when you hear the word holy? Do your thoughts come of a different type of people? A people that may wear a certain kind of clothing? A people that are very serious? They are rigid? They seem to resist fun? They're judgmental. Or some of us, when we hear the word holy, we begin to feel something like fear or guilt. Maybe we can become defensive, on guard. Or maybe we even become curious. But as Christians, we have all heard the word holy. Yet how do you define that word? How do you define holy? I'm sure you all have your own ideas of what holiness is, but yet it cannot be defined by people you know. It cannot be defined by the thoughts you have. Its most precise definition of holiness comes in how God reveals himself to be. Amen. Holiness finds its most prestigious definition or precise definition in who God reveals himself to be. I mean, in today's culture, excuse me, we live in an era where words are constantly changing. The meaning of words are constantly changing. Take, for instance, man, woman, marriage, salvation, truth, love, privilege, oppression. Think about each word, and each word probably means something different to every one of you. Every one of you in this place probably thinks of these words in a different way. But when it comes to God, we don't have the right or the authority to reimagine him. Therefore, we don't have the right or the authority to redefine or reimagine holiness. So today, when we talk about holiness, we're going to talk about God. God is a holy God. Holy is the Lord God. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, who sits at the right hand with the earth as his footstool, our Lord and his Savior is at, our right, at your right hand. Oh, Lord, you are so far above us. You are so different than we are. Lord, you define yourself. 
you reveal yourself to be so much more than we could ever imagine. Lord, forgive us for trying to turn you into something we believe you should be and not accepting just who you are. Lord, we come before you today to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to magnify you, to spend time in your presence. And as your presence manifests itself in this sanctuary today, Lord, let your glory begin to fill this temple. Let your glory begin to touch the hearts and the minds of the people sitting in this congregation, O oh Lord. Touch them, O oh Lord. Touch them, open up their hearts, open up their minds, let them be receptive. Let them see who you are. Reveal more of yourself to them today, Lord, than you ever have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can turn in your Bibles or on your devices or whatever it is you have to Isaiah 6. And we'll be there all day so you don't have to go anywhere else. And it says in verse 1, In the year excuse me, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And the one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. The prophet Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And he heard the seraphim singing a beautiful doxology about God, saying, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. A lot of people define God as love. God himself says he is love. But God cannot be love without being holy. The righteousness of God that permeates out of his very being, out of his very essence, is holiness. Holy. The root word comes and means to cut or to separate. Spiritually perfect, pure, untainted by evil or sin, sinless, saintly, regarded with or deserving deep respect, awe, reverence, or adoration. God's unique holiness as a separation of God alone is majestic holiness. Exodus 15.5 Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? 
Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Those things that separate God to himself become holy. God's attributes from his essence. God's essence is viewed in an abstract way. They spoke of him being a pure thing, an absolute essence. His essence is generally considered unknown or known only as a pure being, where his attributes could only be known by mankind. We look at God and we say God is mercy. God is grace. God's humility. God's loving kindness. God's patience. God's peace. But all those things make up who God is. God is holy. If God were not holy, you would have none of those things. I mean, we think of God, we have to think of, of just how much different he is than you and I. We in the human race, we tend to want to bring God down to our level. Down to something that we in our minds can conceive. But that's not who God is. That's not who God is. It is because God is morally, morally pure that there is no darkness in him. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God can't even do anything evil. God can do nothing against his nature. You see why God is so uniquely different than us? Yet we are created in his image. But yet we are so, he is so uniquely different. God only needs God to exist. God needs nothing else. <clears throat> now we, we need something to exist. We need air to exist. Everything that is made needs something else to have been made. Even the chairs you're sitting on needs something else. It needs material. It needs metal fabric. It needs framing. It needs all these different parts to make a chair. Yet God needs nothing. In the year, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting high on the throne, lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. It had six wings. Two, they covered their eyes. Why? Because the glory of God was so bright that they couldn't look at it. With two, it covered their feet. Why? Because they're standing on holy ground. Amen. And with two they flew. And then one cried, holy. 
holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory. And then it says the posts of the door just shook. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the presence? Can you imagine even seeing one of these seraphim standing right in front of you? And it wasn't just once. It wasn't just twice. But it was three times that they repeated the word holy. Now in Hebrew literature, we all know when a word is repeated, it's repeated to emphasize that word. Well, they emphasized it three times. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is totally separate from us and needs nothing to exist. He is transcendent. In John 8.23, Jesus says, or God says to them, Jesus says to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Transcendent. God is unlike any other being in our experience. He's unlike any other being we've ever come across. How do we describe him? How do we acknowledge his humbleness? His ways are so unlike our ways, you can't even predict him. You don't know what he's going to say. How do you comprehend him? Excuse me, with any sort of accuracy. How do you comprehend? All that we truly know about God comes solely to what he has chosen to reveal to us about himself. He does this through his word. He speaks to some of you. He touches some of you in visions. He speaks to you through his word. Some of you have taken time to sit and listen and listen to the Lord speak. Some of you have gone to the Lord for counseling, so you know some of the things that he is. But still, we have to remember just how awesome this God is. If God were a Christian, he would probably have the same problems we have. But he isn't. He is God. There is no chaos in him. There is peace. There is love. And we have to learn to trust who God is. He is high and lifted up. Amen. He is the one sitting on the throne. Not us. Not us. God's holiness is provincial. First, God is holy. But he is omniscience. He has knowledge of all things. God is light. In him nothing is hidden in 1 John 
1.5 says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. The, rule, the Lord rules high as a perfect judge and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. All things past, present, and future are known by God. God knows your life from now until the end. He knew your life from the beginning till the end. Amen. He sees it all. You see today. You hope for tomorrow. But God knows what tomorrow has for you. If you live within his will, he knows. God is light. But we humans, we walk around in a, in a world it's like a dim-lit parking lot. But God's light is so bright. It's like a ballpark at night when they turn the lights on. And I've played under the lights at night when I was younger. We played ball under the lights. And as long as that ball didn't go up above the lights, you could see the whole thing like it was daytime. It was like daylight down there. That's how bright God's light is. But we walk in a world that is so dark and so dim. It says all of creation is full of the glory of God. Because of his omniscience, no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight. We are all naked. We are all exposed to the eyes of him. And we all must give an account according to Hebrews 4.13. Only God sees all, knows all, and orchestrates all things in complete and perfect clarity. God is holy. In his overwhelming presence, God is holy. When Solomon built and dedicated the temple, he desired that it would be a place of God's dwelling. Just a tabernacle had been made for Israel in the wilderness. But Solomon, he fully recognized that unlike idols, the God of Israel cannot be contained. Amen. He prayed, will God indeed on this earth behold the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less will this house that I have built? How much less will this house? This house can't contain him. But his presence is welcome here. Amen. His presence manifests himself in this place. We have seen it happen on occasion after occasion. We have seen people touched. Over the years when we were covenant of praise, from the beginning we've seen people cured of cancer, We've seen people healed of other illnesses. We've watched people move. We've watched lives change. And it's not because of anything we did. It's because of God. Amen. Because God is a holy God, and we have surrendered our will to a holy God. God's immensity 
stretches beyond any human ability to measure. God is present here at the unlocking of this Bible in this place. He's present in Florida, just as he's present in Bangladesh. More than that, he is the center of the universe. And his presence extends beyond any limits of the cosmos. His holy presence is weighty and potent. The holiness of God is infinite. More than being immortal, God's eternal nature also means that he cannot change. God's holiness sets him apart from all else. Because he exists in perfect purity, he is eternally consistent with himself. I mean, this has got to be hard for some of us to comprehend just who this God is. We don't know anything like this. We know no being like this, unless you know God. But you've never met someone in a Walmart or in a supermarket or anywhere else that is anything like this being. People grow, people mature, people age, but God remains the same. He is morally pure without the slightest hint of evil. The Lord is faithful and true. without the slightest scent of evil. There is no evil among them. He cannot commit evil. He cannot deny himself. And for that reason, God's wisdom, justice, and beauty are perfect. Throughout history, man has sinned. Man has a sinful nature. Why do we continue to sin? We sin because we do not believe in the word or the worth of God. Even Jesus was accused of sin. In John 8, 48, John, Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Why do we sin? We sin because we don't believe the word of God. We don't believe God. We just sin because we don't believe. If we have sexual relations out of marriage, we don't believe our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we steal, we don't believe that that's a sin. If we lie, we don't believe that that's a sin. So many people believe that they can say to God, God knows who I am. He knows I mean no harm by this. He'll accept it. I mean, how many times have you told yourself that lie? God does not accept it. God is light. In him there is no darkness. God cannot sin. God cannot lie. God is righteous. In him there is no evil. 
Now consider the fact that God has given you a Holy Spirit, his own spirit to live within you. Consider the fact that God has created you in his image. So all these things are available to you because God has given them to you. See, we just tend to make God into our image. We, can't, we tend to persuade ourselves that God will accept this sin that we've committed, that God will forgive us, that it's okay, that God doesn't really care. It's only a little sin. That's not what God says. God is holy. We serve a holy God. He is high and lifted up. He is holy. Isaiah saw God sitting on the throne and his robe filled the temple. The seraphim sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken. Can you imagine the power in that? That you're in heaven, you're seeing God sitting on the throne and you're watching the posts get shaken like an earthquake. And all they said was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Verse 5, Jeremiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live cold which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. As I read the scripture and I prayed over it, why did Isaiah say, woe is me? Why didn't Isaiah, like John in the book of Revelation, just bow down and start to worship the Lord? Why didn't he lift up his holy hands and just start worshiping God when he saw him? When he saw the seraphim, when he heard them singing? Why did he say, whoa? I believe the reason is because where the presence of God is, where the righteousness of God is, where the God's light shines, where his glory abounds, sin cannot exist. 
So Isaiah is saying, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips, came to realization, and he was immediately convicted of his sinfulness and his uncleanliness. And all he could say was, whoa, I am so unclean. I am so sinful. I'm not worthy to be here in your presence. Whenever the presence of God manifests itself, when the pure and righteous and moral, holy God exposes the darkness that's in us and exposes the impurities in our lives that are not of God, all we can say to ourselves is, woe, woe is me. Forgive me, Lord, for I am a man of unclean lips. How many times has that happened? How many times has God revealed to us that what we're doing is sinful? That we're not living right, we're not doing right. That we're in darkness. And as his light shined upon us, when that light shines, sometimes it can create an anxiety. It can make us defensive. We start to deny that we're sinning. We start to fabricate all kinds of stories to cover up our sin. We start to lie to our friends. We deceive one another as God exposes the darkness that's in us. When all we need to say is forgive us, O Lord. God exposes all ungodliness that's within us. If we get into his presence, he will expose it all. Woe is me, for I am undone. Isaiah realized, seeing the most holy God, that he was unworthy to be in God's presence and that he deserved God's judgment in his life. Yet God's judgment, God's judgment is nothing like the judgment we place on each other. We tend to judge each other, sometimes very harshly, like we're holier than thou. God's judgment is not like our anger or our wrath that we pour out on one another. I mean, I've been with most of you long enough. I know I've watched some of the anger and some of the frustrations and stuff of dealing with each and every one of you and dealing you dealing with other sometimes we're just a little too judgmental, but that's not the way God judges. God's judgment is in direct relationship to his justice. He judges things purely on who he is and how he sees and what he has created. He doesn't judge us on our personalities or on anything else. He just judges you sin. You didn't. And since the righteousness it is necessary to regulate the affairs of life, it cannot be described with a high value. God is very just. He doesn't judge one over another. He doesn't say I'm going to give 
fat preacher a break? He doesn't say those things. He doesn't judge us like that. We tend to get so hung up on God's wrath that we overlook God's mercy. Whenever we see God's judgment, we see his mercy. When God, when Adam ate from the tree, there was an animal sacrificed to cover his sin, the first blood sacrifice in history. When Israel was coming out of Egypt and the Egyptians that were chasing them were being judged at the Red Sea, the Israelites were standing on dry ground. When the blood was put on the doorposts, it was not the idea of the Israelites, but the salvation plan of a merciful God. When we consider the text, Isaiah didn't ask God for forgiveness. Look at the verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And behold, this has touched your mouth. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Isaiah didn't ask for it. God just gave him mercy. This may have happened in the throne room, but it happens when everyone and anyone repents of their sin and their sins have been atoned for. Romans 5, 8 says, for God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for your sins. He died for the sins that you may commit in a year from now. That sin debt has already been paid. The debt of your sins has already been paid. Christ paid the debt you didn't ask for. It. None of you dialed up Jesus or texted him and said, hey, don't pay my sin debt. No, he paid for your sins. So let's, let's for a moment, let's for a moment imagine ourselves as seraphim. And here we are in the throne room. And with two of our wings, we cover our eyes because God's glory is so bright. And two of our wings, we cover our feet because the ground we're standing on is holy ground. And with the other two, we would love to lift up and worship, but we need them to fly. And we sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. Now suddenly, there's movement in the throne room. And the Lord is getting up. He's beginning to move. 
We become confused. We have not seen this. We run to the archangel Michael. Michael, the archangel knows all. We say, Michael, what's going on? And he replies to us, God is sending his son to earth to be a man. We wonder, how can God become man? And why would God send his son to earth become man? And the answer comes back from Michael. Because God loves them. Because God loves. And he has to live among them to show his love. But don't worry. He'll be back. In John 12, 41, we see, and it's scripture says, and these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. I believe Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne high and lifted up and he knew that the Messiah was coming to pay our debt, to pay for our sins, to allow us to have the right relationship with God. Let's stand. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw the Lord Jesus in all his glory. Our Lord. Our Savior. Our Redeemer. Our merciful King. The light of the world. The Prince of Peace. Oh my Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh we love you Lord. We love you this morning. We love you every day of our lives, oh Father. Oh Lord, let us into this place. If you need prayer this morning, 